Yeah, we're going to read scripture together. We're going to pick up in this amazing adventure that we find Jonah wrapped up into with God. And I hope that you find your place in this story. But I got to, I'm asking Andrew to read the scripture for us today. Yeah, first, I love that we stand for the word of God. Um, I actually had my high school students stand for the reading of God's word, too, to just stand in reverence. Oh, for yeah. God's word. So, uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10 says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, everybody, you can grab a seat. Thanks, Andrew. Well, um, here we are with Jonah, and um, in a very fascinating moment, it's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, ain't he? And uh, I want to start by just kind of reviewing a little bit about Jonah. We're doing this book series in part to grow our faith and love with God, but also uh, to just have a deeper appreciation of the scriptures, the word of God, and the beautiful artistry that's behind the way that the scriptures are written to convey the inspired truth and wisdom of the Lord. I want to show you something about Jonah. Let's go to the next slide. There's organization structure to Jonah as a book. It's organized in sort of this symmetrical, parallel way. So the first two chapters have a, the- have a dynamic and theme that runs parallel to what we see in the second half. In the first two chapters, we see God calling Jonah. Then Jonah encounters non-believers. That's what we're reading about with these sailors. And then we see Jonah talking to God. That'll be coming up in a couple weeks when he is in the depths and he's crying out to God. But then in the second half of Jonah, we see the same dynamic played out with this boat and these sailors played out on a larger scale with that great city of Nineveh. And once again, we'll see Jonah will call, or God will call Jonah again in chapter 3. He will encounter these non-believers, the people of Nineveh, and then he's going to have another talk with God. (laughs) It's going to get feisty because these talks are more like outcries of desperation to shouting matches of frustration with God. Never had that with God? I just love that the Bible is like, you know, sometimes you just got to get frustrated. Because you know what? It's honest, it's true, and God wants us to come to him with our whole heart. And that's what Jonah allows us to see. What that looks like to wrestle with God and to walk with him into his word and his will. All right, so um, to get into this, we're looking at this moment where Jonah is on the boat and there's a storm on the sea. And we're going to look at the way that God harnesses these storms in life 
to transform and renew us, to realign us with him and to realign us with his call in our life. Are you with me on that? Now, I want to frame this idea of God harnessing storms with this quote by uh, C.S. Lewis. Look at this quote, and let's see how this strikes you. C.S. Lewis said, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Do you resonate with that? Isn't that true? Isn't that amazing? That, that God does, um, does not love us because of some inherent goodness that makes us so irresistible, he can't help but come and love us, right? It's not your six-pack. It's not your piercing intellect, your winsome charisma. It, it probably landed your, you know, your spouse um, and your friendships, but God doesn't need that to love you. Isn't that awesome? But it's the love of God that makes us good. This is what we mean when we talk about God's grace. His unearned, unmerited love, delight, and favor. Now, this sounds all warm and fuzzy, right? Like, like oh, that's so cool that God makes us good with his love, you know? So you kind of get the picture of like, here's Jonah in the boat, and God wants to make Jonah good, and he's going to show up and just love him. Oh, Jonah, I love you. Now, come on and get right with me. No. What does God do? He doesn't show up and give him a big hug fest. He throws a storm on the sea. And I want to talk about that. So far, we are not seeing anything good about Jonah. So why does God pursue him? And the answer is because he loves him. And so this is what it looks like when God pursues us. He shakes us up. He disrupts our life in order to draw us to himself. The truth is that God loves you. And we're going to learn how God pursues us with his love to make us good, to make us like him. Um, in verse four, it says this, that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose. Now the whole scene is driven by this storm and it shows us how God harnesses storms, right? Uh, to renew and transform us. Um, Tim Keller has this really great quote that I think really captures the role of the storm in this moment. And if we're open to it, the way that God can harness and use the storms of our life. Look at what Tim Keller says. He says, uh, storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, that really is what's happening in this passage. If I were to ask you, in what ways do you see this storm waking people up to truths they could not see? How would you answer that question? Where do you see people waking up to things because of the storm? But we'll talk more about that next week because that's where we really see the story reach its conclusion. But here they're getting stirred, right? The sailors are praying. Jonah's sleeping and he's getting woken up, isn't he? God is stirring everybody in this moment. Storms are those moments in our life, these seasons when we feel out of control, when we're going through a crisis, as the book calls it, a calamity, a challenge, a circumstance where we feel vulnerable. And I want to say at the very outset, I didn't say it this morning, I regret it. And I want to make sure I say it this morning. 
There are three kinds of storms in general. There are storms that come from our own poor choices. That's where we find Nineveh, right? If you didn't weren't here last week, then maybe you don't know. Jonah is running from God, and that's why this storm is happening to him. And it communicates an important point. Not all storms are because of our sin. But get this. All sin is attached to a storm. A storm of restlessness, upheaval, when we don't live our lives aligned with God. Now, that's not my statement. I stole that from somebody this week, but I think it works. So try that on. And I think it brings something into clarity for us. That, that there are storms that are of our own making, choices that we make. There are storms that we go through because somebody else has made a bad choice. Right? Like when someone hit me at the light down there, I was at a red light, just sitting there, minding my own business, and this woman came right up behind me and smashed into my right, the left side of my car. And for the next three months, we're trying to get it all sorted out. That storm of frustration, tension, and all that for three months, well, I didn't do anything. I was standing still. And sometimes we go through storms because other people have made choices that have affected us. That's the sailors. And then there are storms in life that there's not about anyone's fault it's because we live in a broken world. Are you with me? But in all of them, God can harness storms and make all things work for our good. And that's what we need to drill into here. So I want to talk about the way that God uses storms to wake us up and to renew us. And I want to talk about awakening and renewal personally and the way God does that in the world. All right? So let's... I want to highlight three lessons about the storm, the ways that God uses storms to wake us up and renew us. The first is this, the most obvious, storms make us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> no, I mean, let's just be honest, right? This is true for all people. It doesn't matter what your religious background, doesn't matter your temperament, doesn't matter about you know, what language you speak. It, storms are humbling, all right? I want to talk about the way that storms humble us. Verse four says this, that the ship threatened to break up. Is that, do we have that? Ah, yeah, no. Don't we have verse four? Maybe we don't have it. Ah, oh, we missed that. Okay. It was on the pre. Go back. Go back a slide because I want to look at that. Uh, no. Back. Oh, yeah. There it is right there. There it is right there. Thank you. Okay. In your books, circle that phrase, break up. That word right there, the break up, is actually an interesting Greek or Hebrew word that I want to dig into because it's going to unpack some, I think, some layers of what brokenness can look like. But storms are humbling um, because storms remind us that we're mortal, that we're not in control, and that there are limits to our divine sovereignty as human potentates. Are you with me? They just remind us that we're not as in charge as we thought. No matter how much we do the right thing and set about to get everything just right and get all our ducks in order, we can have experiences, storms thrust upon us that with, despite all of our preparation, everything goes sideways. For example, my son who had done everything right. He was in the best shape of his life. His goal was to win CIF with his high school soccer team. He was so excited. He came into the season in top shape, top position. His skills were razor sharp, and he was all set to be the leading striker for the team. First practice of the season, first shot of the first practice. He blows out his knee, tears his ACL, and has spent seven months in full recovery. 
Meanwhile, his high school team went on to win CIF, and he watched it from the bench. Oh, gosh, I know. And now, you know, it's just a sport. He's going to live and be just fine. But doesn't it just kind of get you? And these are the little kind of things that sometimes can add up. And without us even realizing it, get logged in the back of the brain. Yeah, you know, where is God? If there's a loving God, man, wouldn't, why would he not let me have that parking spot? You know, and these things can accrue. And that reaction, yes, it's real, but these moments, what they're really doing is confronting our sense of Godhood over our lives. And we all resent it, don't we? I mean, we are all resenting that we are not God. We have been stuck in this funk. It's sort of an arrested development since Genesis and the fall. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, oh, if you eat this fruit, you will have no good and evil like God. And ever since then, we have been frustrated that we are not God. But doesn't that beautifully capture the human predicament? Because it plays out not just with God, but even in our interpersonal relationships, right? Where we want to be right and we want everyone else to be wrong. Come on. And that's why storms are important. They humble us. They show us our limits. They show us that we're not in control. Now, we can respond to storms in a way that actually becomes fertile ground for a spiritual transformation. Or we can respond to storms in ways that actually take our lives into a breakdown cycle where we begin to lose touch with ourselves and with God and with each other. See, we can respond to storms with resentment and resignation, or we can respond, we can allow them to open us to God in a fresh way, ways in which there were things we cling to for confidence and security that God wants us to let go of or get some, you know, to put into a different place in our life so that God can show himself to us in a deeper way. That we can rely on him. And there are ways in which we draw security from other false comforts that have been substituting for a greater, fuller dependence on the love and the grace of our Father who is at work in our life. Can you relate to that? The stretching beyond our limits, the threatening of our control, they're in our circumstances, but I want to highlight this little nuance. This word for break up of the boat that had you circle. Actually, the Hebrew word is used to describe things in an external way, right? Let's go to, the, yeah. Things like the boat is going to be crushed, the smashing of our plans, the breaking of um, families, the shattering of culture. However, it can also be a word that's used to describe our internal state. Check this out. In Psalm 51, that Hebrew word is used right here. This is not about what's happening out there. There, but about what's happening in here. Psalm 51 says, my sacrifice, O God, is a what? A broken spirit. And let's finish reading. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Now, this is fascinating about the way that God can harness storms. Because they take us out of our depth. We re- it breaks our attachment to the areas we think we are in control, that we are God. It frees us to have an open posture to God, to have a greater role, presence, and leadership in our life. 
That results in this. This brokenness of spirit, this brokenness and contriteness of heart is a way the Bible talks about humility. It's the breaking of our hubris to make room for the, 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 the birth of God's presence in our life in places that have been crowded out by our own egos or something else. And that's what's so powerful is this kind of brokenness is the humility of recognizing we're not in control. And storms wake us up to the brokenness also, not only in us, but also in the world, right? And that, now that's what we're going to see here, is that storms wake us up to our brokenness, and they can wake us up to the brokenness in the world to see that there is need for healing. Because if you don't acknowledge there's a problem, then there's no need for healing. And as Jesus said, it's the righteous and it's not the righteous he came to call, but the sinner. Meaning, the righteous are those who go, I don't have any brokenness. I don't have any problems. I am great. And Jesus is like, well, then you don't need any healing. But those who are willing to see the brokenness in themselves and in the world, they are the ones that God can work through to bring healing to their life and to the world because they will, are willing to face the problem. Does that make sense? Yes. Come on. That's what God's doing here. The thing is that storms can set the stage for powerful transformation and renewal. And that gets us to the second point. Storms awaken us to our need for renewal. That's what I want to hit on next. If we can admit there's brokenness in us, brokenness in the world, man, you guys, then we can actually begin to call out to God with our whole heart for renewal. Not from a position of self-righteousness or I got it all figured out, but those guys, they need it. You know what I mean? The difference? You know, I am fine, God, but those poor guys, they need you. No, we're calling out from a place of personal desperation. God, I see it here. I see it there. God, you need to move. That's what God wants to awaken in us. And that's what Jonah doesn't see. Well, look at this. Awakening to the need for renewal. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, what's interesting in this moment is the sailors, when they see the storm and they experience it, it becomes a moment in which they recognize there is a need for a spiritual solution. Now, that's interesting, right? They're looking at it and there's two responses they have. I want to read it out to you first. They each cried out to his own God. And number two, they threw the cargo uh, into the sea. Let's start with the cargo stuff. So the sailors do everything in their experience and wisdom to try to solve the problem, right? They go at it as practically as they can and try to fix it, but this storm will not be fixed by their solutions and their practical you know, attempts. Got any, ever face a problem like that where despite all your best efforts, it's not getting better? Yeah? Oh, yeah, I got an example for you. Uh, yeah, I was having a conflict with my wife one time, and I had a perfect plan and solution to get us out of the conflict. We were locked, deadlocked. And I go, I know what this moment needs. This moment needs a moment of clarity. So I decide, babe, and I just break it down. I want to make this real simple, lighten the load on this ship, and I'm going to help you understand where we've gone wrong. You were wrong in three ways. Number one, 
Number two and number three, and I just laid it out. I laid out, no, yeah, this, yeah. Don't you feel for my wife? God bless her. <laughs> yeah. So I laid it out for her, and you can imagine how that went. But oh, Ryan, you're so right. Thank you for showing me the error of my way. And we made up. And so the point is, <laughs> you know what's hilarious is you all know how that went. And we know how that goes, but we keep doing it. Mm, yeah. If that isn't right there a case for why we need God, if you're an atheist here, then please come talk to me. I don't, I, I don't know. Here we are. We have our iPhones. We've got our technology, but we still have the same fundamental problems throughout human history. And I, went, uh, I just was so frustrated when that solution didn't fix things. I didn't know what to do, so I went for a walk. Uh, you know, there's these moments right here where the brokenness or the storms are an opportunity to recognize brokenness in us and around us and to awaken us to our need for renewal. Now that's what I want to talk about because if there's, if you're not looking at the storms in the world, in our life, then you have no hunger, no desperation for renewal in your life or the world, which is why and how God harnesses storms. It's to awaken us to our absolute desperate need to be aligned with him in our life. And sometimes God will use things like this storm to awaken us to the deeper areas of our life that are not aligned with him. Because the real storm on this boat is not that wind and those waves. It is the disobedience and the refusal to trust and obey God that Jonah is living with. And that's what's so powerful about this passage is the way that these sailors, these non-believers are able to accurately say, yeah, there's practical solutions to this problem, but actually there's a deeper problem that we need to pay attention to, and it's a spiritual one. What is renewal? You know, I talk about that a lot, and people will often go, what do you even mean by renewal? And I want to just throw it up. There's so many different ways to talk about it. Try this on. Renewal is the need for things to be made right at a spiritual level. Now, that's what I want to highlight for us. That there is a need, God will use circumstances. He will use our finances. He will use the brokenness in our relationships. He will use the, he will harness the brokenness in our bodies. Not that he's necessarily caused those things, but he will harness them to awaken us to our need for him. And I don't know how about you, but I've met so many people who've gone through a storm only to find a greater awareness of God in their life than they had ever had before. An awareness of God's nearness. It's not that God wants us to go through that suffering, but the truth is we have storms in this world, in this life, because this world is separated from God, not aligned with God. And the consequence of that lack of alignment affects us at a societal level at a communal level, and at a personal level. It affects us personally, relationally, and culturally. And that's what this passage is pointing to. You have this external problem, but it's helping us see beneath the surface to a spiritual root. And that's the gift at this moment. And the power that a storm can have in our life to awaken us to God in a way we couldn't have seen before. Now, 
sometimes we go through a storm that we just are so disappointed and disillusioned with God that we don't, we just give up. Look at where's Jonah. Let's talk about Jonah for a minute. You got the sailors who are crying out to God. They're doing all the right stuff, right? They're crying out to their gods. They're trying to find a solution. They're doing the best they can. Let's look at Jonah. Jonah, it says here, is down below deck praying for the sailors that they would discover God's love. I love Jonah. Isn't Jonah amazing? Don't we all? <laughs> Look at this moment right here. Let's read this. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. There's Jonah. He just, boom, he's out. I'm, out. I'm over this. I'm out of here. The truth is, when I walked away to go for that walk, it was a bit of a power move with my wife. I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? You don't want to make peace? I am out of here. And I just left. No, I did. I did it. I'm embarrassed to admit I did it. I walked. I just left for an hour late one night just walking. Oh, now she's regretting it. Now she's regretting it. Now, where am I? She doesn't know. I'm gone. Isn't that mean? That's mean. That's mean. That's, that's bad. It is. We're laughing because maybe there's a little bit of that in all of us. I'm glad I'm in good company, right? We're all, we do weird things, but... I was a little bit like Jonah at first. I was just mad. I just wanted to get away from the problem. And sometimes we can, God, when we're experiencing a storm, we're so disappointed and disillusioned with God that he would allow something to happen in our life that we just give up. And sometimes we get there because our solutions are not changing things. Even our religious solutions, we're praying, we're reading scripture, and still the problem persists. And maybe like Jonah, we just give up. We get so discouraged. We kind of lose a little faith. And maybe that's you this morning. And you know, my prayer is that you would hear God just calling out to you. That he is pursuing you with his love to draw you into his goodness, to free you from the illusion of having to be in control and to trust him, to draw near to him, to know that he cares about you and he wants to meet you in the storm that you're facing. I want to go to the third one. And so let's review. Storms can humble us. Storms can begin to awaken us for our need for renewal. We see the sailors praying. They're seeking God. But this is the third one, okay? The third one is that storms awaken us to our destiny. Now, that's what I want to hit on because that's where we find Jonah. Look at verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? What are you doing? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Gosh, I love this line. And this is my favorite part of the whole passage. And I just, I really feel there's a word for us here right now. I don't mean in the general sense. I mean in a very specific sense for us as the church, the Big C Church in this time in our history as a country. And I think for you personally. And it's this, this call. Get up and call on your God. Storms, God harnesses storms to awaken his people to their destiny. I, I, I want to share this illustration that came to me this morning at the last minute, but I want to share with you now. Let me give you an example and then we'll talk about it. 
I was invited to the city of Carlsbad's, um, the, the, the mayor's offices. And um, a couple from our church were being recognized as citizens of the year for Carlsbad. And I don't know if the Thorpes are here, but if they're here, I love you guys. I went just as a pastor to be a presence of support for this couple in our church. And I got to hear their whole story. I had known it, but hearing it again this year really hit me. It's the story of a couple who faced the worst storm any parents could ever be asked to face, the death of their young son, Mitchell, who died of an undiagnosed disease. I mean, I just don't know how any parent ever gets through that. But what was so incredible of their story, it wasn't, it was a story of grief, of mourning, of near financial ruin because of all the medical bills. But then there's a turn in that story. The turn began when they hosted a walkathon and people came and turned out and donated money and they were able to pay off their bills. But the second best part was they started a foundation that since that time has donated over $3 million to families who are going through hell as they fight to protect their child who's facing an undiagnosed disease and are facing insurmountable financial cost in bills. Now, this is what just really wrecks me, is that in the midst of this awful tragedy God never wanted for this family, they found their destiny and a calling in that storm. In a way, go back to what, CS, or go back to what Tim Keller said. I want to read it to you again. Tim Keller said, storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. And they began to see people who were in need that they never really saw before. Because they were going through it. And because they had gone through it, it opened their eyes to others who were going through it. Doesn't that just mess with you? It just like blows my mind and it's become this amazing, beautiful expression of God's grace in our community. And it says something to us about renewal and how God works. See, when we talk about renewal, doesn't that sound awesome? Yes, God, make it new. But before something can be made new, the old has to be torn down. And that's hard. And sometimes there's a process that God has got to take us through for that renewal. It's not uncommon in the pattern of personal and societal renewal that crisis precedes renewal. And you'll hear this so much in testimonies. I was talking to a guy this week who was saying before he found the Lord, he was at a point where he was, you know, despite the partying, the drinking, and everything that he was using to fill up his life, he was successful by all accounts. There was an internal storm he could not run away from in his bed at night, successful, li you know, living his best life. He couldn't get away from the gnawing feeling of emptiness and something terrible missing from his life. And then there was a moment of financial ruin that brought him to his knees, lost everything. And the way that that awakened his soul to humble himself before God. God, I'm not God. You are. I need you. And it changed his life. I mean, it changed his life. It's the way God uses these and harnesses the power of these crises 
not just for renewal for us, but for the world. That's what I want to just hit on in these remaining minutes. This is crazy stuff. This is a word for the church today. Get up and call on your God is what the sailor says to Jonah, and that is God's word to us today. Get up and call on your God. But sometimes the threat that we feel in the storm is so great, we can't see what God is doing because the threat is too big. We don't see the opportunity that God has for us in it. We see the threat of the world, for example, when we look around us as something to protect ourselves from. When we stop and think about what we see going on, the storms in our culture and our society. I want to highlight a few, and I'll come back to what's this. I want to highlight some of those storms that we see in culture. What are the storms in culture that you see that make you feel threatened? I, I'm just kind of throwing up some of the ones that really zing us. They go, wow, boom. Here are the really sensitive ones, okay? So it's not a very nuanced list, but these are some of the strong ones. Racial injustice. Remember we went through COVID, that physical storm, that pandemic, that exposed the deeper brokenness in our world. Do you remember that? This is an example of how God harnessed that storm, the pandemic, a virus, to actually expose a deeper brokenness, not just in us individually, but in the world. And it was exposed, wasn't it? There was brokenness exposed in our friendships, in our marriages, and in society. And we saw racial, we saw protests about racial injustice. We saw rioting in cities and at the state capitol. How about the gender dysphoria? Right, this, The struggle and the confusion about our gender and political polarization. And well, what we as believers, if you're not a Christian, you don't care about this one, but we do. Um, the, the, the radical shift today in our country away from church. There are two major shifts that socio-historians look at in church attendance. Church attendance. You can't measure people's hearts, but you can measure if they show up or not. And the biggest shift in American history of church attendance was in the late 19th century, and it was the shift, 13% increase in church attendance nationwide across the entire country. People were flooding into churches. Right now, we're in the midst of the, the now newest, largest shift in church attendance, and it's in the opposite direction. Not a 13% increase of attendance, but a three times that, multiplied by three times, decrease in exodus from church attendance in our country. I mean, these are challenges facing our culture. I'm sure you can think of other ones, big storms facing our world. And what I want to say is Jonah is a book, it's a prophetic book to God's people to shake us up and say, son, daughter, wake up. There are storms we're facing. Get up and call on God. And sometimes God uses the non-believing world to shake us awake. And that's what's happening in the story. We're going to get into that next week even more. But listen to this fascinating, ironic twist. Normally, we as Christians see ourselves as the ones waking the world up to its sin. But in this story, it's the non-Christians waking up the Christian to his sin. Does that not mess with you? I mean, you're just looking at me like, I mean, that messes with me. <laughs> I mean, that just messes with me. Because, see, when we're faced with these threats, we want to put all the blame on the evil in the world. And that is insane. There is an evil. Clearly, there is evil in Nineveh. God sees it, and we should too. There is evil in our world, in our culture. 
Yes. So let me start shouting and bring it down. <laughs> but what if there are storms in our society because the people of God don't understand their role in the storm? And they're running. They think they're helping, but we're running. Because we don't understand what it means for us to be agents of renewal. What we want is we want to feel safe and secure. And so if we don't, we'll just move and leave. Forgive me, that's fine if people need to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong about leaving California. Because you feel like, hey, this is too hard. I can't do it. I respect that. But that can't be all of our call. And somewhere in it, some of us have to hear a call to stay. And not just stay physically, but to stay in the fullest sense, emotionally, personally, relationally, spiritually, and to lean in as agents of renewal, to bring renewal. Now, we're going to talk about renewal in even greater depth than what that looks like from God's perspective next week. But I just want to set the stage that it's in this storm that the church, that God wants the storms that we're facing in society, even in your personal life, these are places that God wants to awaken you, something in you. See, I want to convince my wife she's got a problem. <laughs> so I'm on that walk, and it's on that walk. I'm venting, I'm frustrated, and I'm praying for my wife. God, just show her, you know, the error of her way. Yes, I know. See, now you wonder why I'm even the pastor here. <laughs> But there was a moment, a shift. And as I opened, first I was just grumbling. But then as I opened my heart to God, and this is what happens when you let God in. He starts to shift my, your perspective. And you know what? God is always going to shift it this way. He is going to ask you to look at the splinter in your own eye and the plank in the other person's eye. Did I get that right? <laughs> no, I did not. Did you catch that? <laughs> if you don't know the scripture, I'll help you out, right? Jesus said, pull in conflict, pull the plank out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to pull the splinter out of the other's eye. This passage is all about who's at fault for the storm. Who's to blame? And we as believers can get caught up wanting to blame the world out there and we become entrenched in these us-against-them positions because we are so threatened by what other people are doing because we see brokenness, don't we? And we know that brokenness isn't the way it's supposed to be. And because it isn't supposed to be that way, that betrays the deep-seated conviction that we all know the world isn't the way it was meant to be and it needs to be renewed. Even non-believers get that. No one looks at someone sick and goes, well, that's just the way they're supposed to be. Survival of the fittest. Even the most hardened atheists really can't do that. They have to look at it and go, no, that person's sick. We need to do something to help that person. Because deep in the human spirit is the knowledge and the conviction that this world is broken and was meant for something better and more. And we need to step into renewal. We need renewal. The question is, we're not all settled on where it comes from, where we get it from. What will bring renewal to our marriage? What will bring renewal to our health, but to our culture and to our environment? What will renew our country? 
The sailors don't have the right solution and we'll see next week what is played out. The sailors though are the ones who see the problem and sometimes God has got to wake up God's people with non-Christians drawing our attention to problems we didn't realize were a concern to God. And we got to just own that and not feel threatened by that and go, why are they always talking about racial injustice, you know, and, and think because their solutions don't align with ours, that they must be wrong too about the problem they're seeing. And I'm telling you, they're not. And we confuse the two, the, the problem and the solution. In the passage, the sailors see the storm, but they don't have the right solution. They're calling on their gods, but we know they're not real gods. They need Jonah's God, and the world needs your God. But how can your God make a difference if you won't agree about the problem and say, yes, there are these problems? And that is what is the hour we face as a church. And wouldn't Satan just love for us to ignore and forget about the problems or not even believe the problems are going on? The truth is we have to accept that sometimes God will want to wake us up as a church using non-believers to say, hey, this is on fire. And that's what I see with that list, the gender dysphoria, the racial injustice. I see the world saying, we have a problem. And the Christians, we've got to stop saying, no, there's no problem there. You're just using that to whatever. No, maybe they, we don't agree with that solution, but there is a problem. And we've got to lean into it and face it with God. All right, I got all worked up. And... Um, I want to end with this. The call to be agents of renewal is to see in the things that threaten us most the cry of a generation for God. We don't agree with solutions, but what if we saw those solutions as just an attempt by somebody to find God in the problem? And that we want to encourage, even if we don't agree with their, their plan. This is the shift it can make. And I want to show you guys a clip. Can we show that clip and try it again? We didn't, it didn't work this morning. Let's see. Oh, yeah. tells me you're a pastor. Yes. Currently. I know we must seem pretty strange. But if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things just in all the wrong places. So to answer your question, how do I describe my people? They're sheep without a shepherd, chasing hard after lies. And the trouble is, your people reject them. So I ask you, Pastor, can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? We can only walk through doors open to us. And your church? Well, that's a door that's shut. if I can say this as we bring this to a close. Jonah knows the truth. He's like, I'm a Hebrew 
And my God, Yahweh, it's the word Yahweh there for the personal name of God, the Tetragrammaton. I know Yahweh, the maker of the sea and the dry land. He knows the truth, but he doesn't know how to carry that truth. He's not willing to carry that truth into the world with God. And, uh, you know, I'm going to say something here. And it, it goes with last week, the tension and the relationship between conviction and compassion, truth and grace. Is it possible there are ways that we hold God's truth that makes the world feel like the church is no place for them? Is that possible? Is it possible to hold truth in a way that actually makes it harder for someone to actually hear and see the truth that we hold because of the way we hold it, the way we carry it? It isn't about an either or. We talked about this last week. It's not an either or. It's a both and. But Jonah's helping us look at what happens when God's people will carry his truth with his compassion Now, we're going to see next week, even with sacrificial love, so that the world can see that God is not just the God of the Christian. He is God of the world, of all people. And it's in the place of the storm when the world sees believers taking their God-ordained places in the storm to bring God's renewal that the world is awakened. We're, all, we're out of time. Deep thoughts to, to leave you with. But let's go into this song for a minute. And as we go into this song, I want you just to bring two things. And then we're going to go out and we're going to watch some baptisms. Watch people dedicate their life to Jesus. Um, number one, is there a storm in your life that God wants to harness for his good in you? Maybe you saw that storm as God abandoning you, forgetting about you, whatever. I don't know. But God wants to harness that storm for your good, to draw you into his presence in a way that you couldn't have known him otherwise. And secondly, are there storms out in the world that feel so threatening that maybe God wants to bring a shift? Wants to bring a shift in your perspective. As, as, the, as Lonnie Anderson's character, played by Jonathan Rumi, said... Where God is asking us to look a little deeper, to look with love, to see a world searching for all the right things, but yeah, in all the wrong ways. But if we can't see the world search for God in those things, then we can't be God's agents of renewal.